I want to talk about extreme faith, how that you and I need to have extreme faith. And I want to ask you a question, and I want you to really think about this. Do you have the kind of faith that actually changes things? Do you have the kind of faith that actually changes things? We know from Scripture that it takes faith to move the hand of God. We know that God is only pleased by us when we have faith and we believe. And what is faith? Faith is when we, there's no physical, natural evidence, but because God said it, we believe it. That's basically what faith is. We, we believe in God. We believe in His Word. We don't need natural or physical evidence to tell us it's true. We believe it because God said it is true. That's what faith really is. And so I want you to think about faith in those terms. Do you have the kind of faith that really changes things around you? things inside you, things in your family and your friends. Think about that. And, and, and after we're done here today, I want you to really go through that question in your mind and ask yourself, do I have the faith? Am I exercising a kind of faith that changes things? Do my prayers actually make an impact on the world? Do my, do my declarations actually impact the world? Because God has called the church to change the world. God has called the church to change the world. God has uh, set his spirit inside of us to leak out into the world and impact the world for Jesus Christ. Lots of reasons, lots of uh, depth to what that means, and I can't get into all of it, but, but just let me say that God has called you and he has called me and filled us with his spirit to impact and change the world around us. We're not supposed to just exist in it. I believe God has called our church, Austin Life Church, to change Austin for Jesus Christ. I believe God has put us together and many more are going to come and through the power of prayer and love and spreading the hope of the message of the life of Jesus Christ, we're going to make a huge impact on Austin and literally turn Austin upside down. I believe that there are other churches that are uh, have the same call on them, and together we're impacting uh, Austin for Jesus Christ. And, and I believe this. I believe that you are called to impact your world. You are called to impact your family, your friends, your community, your co-workers. You are called to change things. But in order to do that, you're going to need faith. It's going to require you to have some faith. You're going to need to have the kind of faith that actually changes things. This is extremely important. It's going to take the kind of faith that actually makes things happen. So why do I use the word extreme, the extreme faith? Well, because I want you to think of faith in these terms. Uh, the dictionary says extreme is of a character or kind farthest removed from the ordinary or average. You're going to have to be far removed from ordinary or average. Did you catch that? You're going to have to be removed 
from ordinary or average. Also, it says the utmost or exceedingly great in degree. That means it goes to the absolute edges. It's farthest away from safety, but it goes to the absolute edges. Now, if we look at the life of Jesus as he walked this earth and we read the the scriptures, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we look at his life, we see that Jesus lived with extreme faith. Jesus would walk up uh, onto a funeral and just raise the dead, mess the whole thing up. Jesus uh, would uh, walk up to somebody who was demon-possessed and set them free. Jesus would walk up to someone who was blind and open their eyes. I mean, he had extreme faith. There was nothing he could not do. He had that high level of out on the edge, amazing things can be done, extreme kind of faith. I don't know about you, but I feel in my spirit that God is trying to lift our level of faith so that we can start believing God for bigger, better, more miraculous things, not for our personal pleasure, but for God's personal pleasure, for God's enjoyment, for God's blessing. Amen. For God's glory. It's about him. Amen. And he needs us to have an extreme kind of faith. So let me ask you once again, do you have the kind of faith that actually changes things? Now, I know what uh, a lot of people are thinking, especially if you've been in church for a while, people think to themselves, uh, well, all I need is the faith the size of a mustard seed. And uh, I want to look at that scripture today because I think there's some things that you and I need to learn about what that scripture actually means, to have faith the size of a mustard seed. Thank you, Jesus. In Matthew 17, 14, it says, When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And so we read that and we think to ourselves, well, Jesus said here, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed that that you can... uh, You can say to a mountain, move, and it'll be cast into the sea. So popular opinion interprets that to mean that if you have a tiny bit of faith, if you believe God a little bit and you've got a whole lot of doubt, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter if you've got a whole lot of doubt because if you just have a tiny mustard-sized seed of faith, then you can say to a mountain, it'll be moved and cast into the sea. But let's really be honest. When you have a tiny size of faith and a whole lot of doubt, do you go around moving mountains? No, you do not. In fact, there's some things that we've got to learn from this. We've got to get 
uh, down a little bit deeper into what the scripture is saying. Some, some of it's obvious, some of it is not so obvious. Uh, the Bible says that you need faith like a mustard seed. In fact, that original word shouldn't be interpreted size. In fact, it's used many other times in the Bible, but it's always interpreted in the Bible as like or even as. So it would be, it, in other words, it would be saying, if you had faith like a mustard seed, or if you had faith even as a mustard seed, rather than the size of a mustard seed. You see, we focus on the size and that's not really what we're supposed to be focusing on. In fact, there are many scriptures that tell us the opposite of uh, the popular opinion that you just need a tiny, tiny bit of faith uh, to move mountains, a small amount of faith. And I want to look at some of those right quick so you get this in your spirit today. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Mark eleven twenty three. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. Does not doubt. Remember that. James 1, 6 through 8. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Did you catch that? Now, are you seeing that you can't have a whole lot of doubt and a tiny bit of faith? Matthew uh, 17 again, we'll go back to there. It's right in the story uh, that we read. He says, Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. Because of the littleness of your faith. So I want you to get this out of your mind. This idea that all you need is a tiny, tiny bit of faith. That your mind and your heart can be filled with a whole lot of doubt and worry and fear and anxiety. And you can have this tiny, tiny bit of faith. And that is going to change things. You see, it's not really about the size. Jesus is saying, if you have faith, you have a seed. You have potential. Listen to me today. Anytime the Bible talks about seed, it is referring to the process of sowing and reaping. The seed is never about itself. It's always about what the seed is supposed to become. Hallelujah. Now, the way God works is he plants his word in our heart. That's the seed. And as we have faith in it and believe in it, it grows and it realizes itself in our natural uh, world here on earth. And so it takes faith to turn the seed into the reality here on earth. And so Jesus is not saying that the seed is what you need. Jesus is saying the seed is what you start with. It's not about a small amount. It's about how you can begin with a small amount and it can become what you need it to be. I hope you're getting this today. In fact, the mustard seed starts out small, but let's look at the mustard plant. I want to read to you in Matthew 13, 31. 
Matthew 13, 31, Jesus describes the mustard plant. Watch this. He presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, did you catch that? When it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that is within me. God is saying, Jesus was saying to his disciples, look, you can start out with the seed, but if it grows to a point where it becomes huge, some amazing things can happen to you. Now, let me just quickly talk about some, some facts about the mustard plant. The mustard plant, of course, has a seed that is very tiny. Most of you, you might have mustard seed uh, up in the cabinet right now, or you've been to a service where the pastor passed out a mustard seed to everybody, and it was real, just real tiny thing, just sits on the end of your fingertip. It's so small. Yes, it starts out small, but when it's planted, watch this, the mustard plant is aggressive and invasive. In other words, it takes over the dirt and soil and kills other plants that are in its area. It wants all of the soil. Did you catch that? When you plant faith in your life, when faith begins to grow in your life and you nurture faith, that seed, what happens is it begins to grow and it begins to take over your heart and take over your mind and it begins to destroy doubt and fear and anxiety. It begins to destroy confusion and frustration and all these things that life has planted in your heart and in your mind. If you nurture faith like a seed, it will grow and destroy those other things until it is the sole possessor of your heart and mind. Did you catch that? And when it is fully grown, it becomes large. The, the mustard plant becomes uh, can grow up to be 20 foot tall and become like a tree. And, and Jesus said, not only does it become larger than any other thing, but it actually begins to bless other creatures, that the birds come and, and enjoy its shade. Can I tell you something? When your faith grows to the point that it becomes mature, it is an extreme faith, a mountain-moving faith, a God-can-do-anything faith, and it will not only change your situation, it will change other people's. They will enjoy the shade of your faith. Come on, that's good stuff. Woo! Praise God. Hallelujah. Listen, Jesus is saying this. If you start out with just the tiniest amount of faith and you nurture it, it can grow and take over your heart and mind and become something so large that it not only affects you, it affects the world around you. That's why I want to know, do you have a extreme kind of faith? Do you have the kind of faith that actually changes things? Think about it today. That small amount of faith can change the world, but it's got, some, it's got some circumstances to overcome. It's got some challenges to overcome. There are some things that will stunt its growth or even kill that seed of faith, that tiny bit of faith. And, and when we don't overcome these obstacles, what we end up with is oligopistos. Let me say that again, oligopistos. 
Yes, I took a long time trying to figure out how that is said. Oligopistos. That is the Greek word that Jesus used when he said this. Oh, you of little faith. You see, when we don't overcome the barriers, the, the things that stunt the growth of our faith, what happens is we end up with oligopistos, a faith that's too little to get anything done. Oligopistos. Now, that word in the original language is a combination of two words. Pistos meaning faith and oligos meaning size. Now, when it means size, it's used in a, a, a three different ways. It is how uh, big it is, the size of it, the depth of it, uh, how deep it is, and also the duration, how, how size, uh, the size or the amount of time that it lasts. And so uh, you could think of it this way. When Jesus said of you of little faith, he might be saying your faith is small in size. He might be saying it's shallow. He might be saying that your faith didn't last very long. Oh, you of little faith. And so when he says that to the disciples, it's because they're in a situation where if they had extreme faith, they could have accomplished what they needed to accomplish. They could have changed things, but they didn't. They had small faith. And there are six places in the New Testament that the Bible talks about oligopistos. And Jesus says this phrase, well, I want to go through five of them, and I want to explore these scriptures. Uh, and, and you can take notes if you want. In fact, I would encourage you to, to write some of this stuff down because we're going to see in these stories how a problem arises, uh, what kind of problem that produces for your faith, and a solution in how you can overcome it. And so as you go throughout your week and throughout your life and you learn these things, how to apply these things, you will never just... One day, ask God for something and drop it. You will ask God for something with the intention of, of allowing, nurturing that seed to grow until it is so overwhelming and so powerful that nothing but what you believed for and God said could come true. Amen? You would have that extreme kind of faith, but you've got to learn some things from this. We've got to learn some things from these scriptures. And I want to start in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worthy much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and is gone tomorrow, he will not much will he not much more clothe you? Watch this, you of little faith. There he said it, oligopistos. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your but your heavenly Father 
uh, knows that you need all these things. Therefore, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself, for each day has enough trouble of its own. Praise God. Praise God. So we see here an example of the disciples having a small amount of faith. They don't have a big enough an amount of faith. The problem is that they, they were worrying about their basic needs, food, clothing. You can include shelter and all the basic needs that we have to this day. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Who's going to pay the rent? All of these things. He's saying to them, listen, your problem is that your faith is too little. You are, number one, focused on the small things. Sometimes we're so consumed with our basic needs, and, and so we can get wrapped up, and that's all we worry about is our basic needs. It's all we're concerned about is our basic needs. And one of the things that we must understand as Christians is that God promised to take care of us. God promised that He would meet our needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. And so uh, we, we must learn to have faith that when God said He will provide, He will provide. Now, it may not be the way you want it or when you want it, but God will provide. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And, and another thing is they, their mind was focused on the wrong things. You know, you can get so consumed with earthly things that you're focused on the wrong things. And, and what happens is when you get focused on the things of this earth, oftentimes you end up uh, getting less of the things of this earth. And so now you become even more focused because now you're even hungrier or doing without and, and you want more. And so you, you begin to uh, quit thinking about the kingdom. You begin to quit thinking about God and you start uh, just thinking about the things of this world. And, and what a lot of people do is that when they have their basic needs met, that's not enough now. Now they want extra stuff and more stuff and greater blessings. And listen, the, some of you, listen to me, some of you, the devil has got you on the carrot and string right now. He has got you following after everything. You think if you could just buy one more toy, if you could just have one more vacation, your entire life is made up of making money so you can have things and do things. And that is not God's plan for your life. If you're focused on the small things, if you've got your mind constantly anxious about the things of this world, you're missing out. You've got a shallow kind of faith, an oligopistos that isn't going to produce miraculous results in your life. So what happens is this kind of faith produces worry. Jesus said, do not worry. Do not worry. What happens is when you get focused on the wrong things and your faith in God is really tiny and your faith in yourself is really big and your desire for the things of this world gets really big, you end up with a tiny faith so that when you ask God and you believe God, you don't receive anything because you're focused on the wrong things and your faith is too small. You can't mix faith and worry. You can't mix faith and worry. So what's the solution? Jesus said this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added to you. Isn't that simple? What does that mean? Seek first his kingdom. First thing we do is seek God and what his plan is for our life and for the world. What is God's plan for us? What is his kingdom assignment for me? Seek 
first. Now that first, that word is so important because Jesus didn't say sit in your house and just seek the kingdom and that's it. No, you still have to go get a job and yes, you still have to work. And yes, you still have to budget and yes, you still have to do all the things you need to do. But first, first, one more time, first, seek the kingdom of God. First, seek the kingdom of God and seek his righteousness. Not a, a perfection based on your actions, but a perfection based on faith in Christ. The solution for a small-sized faith in this instance is to seek the Lord and his righteousness. Second example is in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. In verse 23 beginning, it says, When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there, was a, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? Oligopistos. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What we see here is an example of short faith, shallow faith, faith that was, uh, had no depth to it. The problem is that the storm is there. They see the winds and, they, and the waves uh, and... Uh, They're having a problem believing Jesus unless they can see him at work. Now, are you catching this? Because think about it. They're in the boat. The storm is coming. There's a good chance that they're going to die in the storm out at sea. But they know that Jesus can save them. But he's asleep. So it bothers them that they can't see Jesus at work. Why isn't Jesus doing something about my problem? Why isn't he fixing my problem? Why, is, why doesn't he wake up, just come down in glory and address my situation and fix this problem? And now that's the way a lot of us think about things. The, the reason we have a shallow faith is because, because we want to see God do it our way. We want to see him at work. We want the outcome to be the way we want it to be. Now, think about this. What if they hadn't woken Jesus up? Would they have drowned? Of course not. They had Jesus in the boat. Perhaps the winds and the waves would have just calmed on their own. Perhaps they would have just endured the storm and made it to the other side because they had Jesus in their boat. But so many times in our lives, we just want God to do something in a way that we understand, that we can grasp. We want to see him at work. And if we don't see God at work, if, we're, if we've got a problem and, and the evidence of the problem and the trial and the attack of the enemy is all around us and, and we can clearly see the attack of the enemy, but in this instance, we can't see the hand of God. God seems to be asleep. He seems to be nowhere. And we start to freak out. And we start getting on our knees and, and starting to rattle God. Hey, God, where are you at? Why aren't you coming here and rescuing me? You know what that is? That's a lack of faith. 
that assumes, assumes that God either isn't conscious of your problem or he's aware of it and isn't doing anything about it. A shallow faith says, listen, God, I've got to see you do it the way I understand it. I've got to see you do it the way I can believe it. Show me some evidence. Show me, give me some explanation. Let me see the end result and, and, and know how this is all going to turn out. No, 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 no. A deep faith, a faith that's not shallow says, I got Jesus in the boat. I'm not worried. I'm not going to let fear overcome me. I'm not going to let the wind and the waves and the lightning and the thunder and the circumstances that seem bigger than me overcome me. Instead, I'm going to trust the man who's asleep in my boat. I want to trust the guy who doesn't seem to be doing anything, but I know that even when I don't see God, God is at work. So what happens when you, when you think that God has to do it your way or you have to see uh, him in work and, and if he's not there, somehow it means he's abandoned you? What happens? What happens is that you get fear. You get fear. It produces fear. The disciples were afraid. Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Why did you allow fear to get inside your heart? Oh, you of little faith. Are you catching this? So what's the solution? Trust God. Just believe God even when you don't see him at work. Woo. Let me, let me make a promise to you today. There are a great amount of times in your life when God is at work and you don't see it or understand it. You have no comprehension. Yes, you see the trouble. You see the trials. You see the bills due. You see the problems. You see the difficulties. You see the doctor's report. You feel the pain. You see the issues. But you don't see God at work. But a deep, abiding faith, a faith that has grown and invasive says this. It doesn't matter if Jesus seems to be asleep. He is at work in my life. I will trust him no matter what the circumstances tell me. Ooh, glory to God. Glory to God. That's an extreme kind of faith. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 28. Peter's walking on the water here. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, oligopistos, Peter, why did you doubt? Then they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Certainly you are the Son of God. This is an example of a short faith, a faith that's short in duration. It started out great, but it didn't last. Oh, can I tell you, a lot of times we start out great, but we just don't last. Our faith dies. It falls short. It is oligopistos in the sense that it began, but it didn't last. What was the problem? Well, first of all, Peter saw the wind and the waves. Once again, he was paying attention to the circumstances. He was at first, now let's watch this. Peter was at first doing the miraculous. 
Peter had to start out with extreme faith because you don't get out of the boat and walk on water without an extreme faith, a faith that's invasive. There's no doubt. You believe, you have courage, you act upon your faith, you step out on the boat, you're looking at Jesus and all of a sudden you're walking on the water. He started out with a big mountain moving, walking on water kind of faith, but something happened. It didn't last. He started feeling the splash of the waves and he started hearing the wind and the the lightning uh, perhaps is uh, uh, flashing around him and changing the view and he's starting to look around. Can you just picture Peter? He knows he needs to keep his eye on Jesus, but he starts, he can't help himself. He's just He's looking around and once he starts getting his eyes off of Christ and he starts looking at his circumstances, what he's doing is he's empowering the circumstances. Oh, are you catching me? Those of you who are constantly looking at the facts on the ground, you're constantly looking. Now, listen, I'm not here to tell you that what you're looking at is a lie. If the bank's negative, The bank account's negative. That's true here on planet earth. What's true in the spirit realm is that God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you believe God's word more than you believe the facts here in the natural, what happens is faith produces a change in the natural. God will provide something miraculous, something good will happen in your life and what you believed will come to pass. Are you catching that? So Peter's got this mountain moving faith that says, although the, uh, the density of water and gravity says I'm supposed to sink, Jesus says I can walk on water. And so he's, he's got this big extreme mountain moving faith. He gets out of the boat and he is walking on water. Amazing. But he starts looking at the winds and the waves and the circumstances. And what happens? He begins to doubt. He begins to doubt. Now he's got doubt in his mind. He's got his eyes off of Jesus. And now he's beginning to to doubt that this is even possible. Some of you today, God has done a miracle in your life, but circumstances came around. The pain came back. A doctor's report came back. Uh, somebody said something to you. You read an article and it, it just empowered the doubt. It produced doubt in your life. And remember what James says, listen, if you've got doubt in your life mixed with your faith, you can't expect God to do anything in your life. You can't expect to receive anything from God. Remember what Jesus said, if you believe and there is no doubt, then you can ask whatever you will and it shall be done. Extreme faith has destroyed the doubt ignores the circumstances and keeps eyes on Jesus. So what's the solution? What was Peter's solution? Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of Jesus. But I know that's, that's easier said than done, but I believe by practice and by determination and by being aware, we can learn to not give our circumstances our focus. Do you understand me? It's not that we don't go to the doctor. It's not that we're not aware of the situation. It's not that we don't look at the bank account. It's that we don't give it our focus. Our heart is not focused on it. Our mind is not focused on it. We are focused on Jesus Christ. We are focused on Jesus Christ. 
And if by chance we somehow get distracted, we recognize it and we refocus ourselves again. This problem produced doubt. Have you noticed that all of these problems have produced something so far? The first problem produced worry. The second problem produced fear. The third problem produced doubt. If we're not careful, these things creep in and they stifle the growth of our faith. They choke out its growth and it never becomes what it's supposed to be. And we end up with oligopistos. Oligopistos. I can hear all of you now out there trying to say that. Oligopistos. Work on it. Hallelujah. Let's go on again. The fourth example, Matthew chapter 16. I hope you're getting something out of this. Matthew chapter 16. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They began to discuss among themselves, saying, He said that because we didn't bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, oligopistos, you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large basketfuls you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread? Oh, wow. But be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. In other words, be aware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is an example of a shallow faith. They were confused, first of all. They didn't know what Jesus meant by what he said. And more importantly, they had forgotten. Now, this is something that's remarkable to me, and yet I'm so guilty of it. You remember the children of Israel who the, the waters of the Red Sea parted and the, the ground actually became dry. There was not even mud. In fact, they walked across it and they didn't even take uh, a little bit of the mud of the past with them. They, they just went free and clear and walking through and there's a wall of water on one side and a wall of water. I can't even imagine what that was like. But you would think that if you experienced that, you would never doubt God about anything again. And yet what happened? They forgot and they got down the road and they started questioning God. When are you going to give us food? When are you going to give us water? What about this problem? What about that problem? They forgot what God had done. Now that seems ridiculous. The disciples here, it seems ridiculous. They, they were there when Jesus said, bring me what you got. I'll say, we got some loaves and some fish, God, but there are 5,000 men and their families. Jesus said, bring it to me. And he blessed it and he broke it and he said, distribute it. So they just went and did what he said and started passing it out. And somehow it multiplied enough to feed all 5,000 men and their families. A miraculous event. So miraculous, God put a cherry on top. And that is that they gathered up 12 baskets full of leftovers from just a handful of fish, a, a couple fish and some bread. That was all they had. 12 baskets full of leftovers. What a miracle. You think the disciples would have never doubted God again, but they forgot. 
Can I tell you something? We are no better than the disciples. We are no better than the children of Israel. We have forgotten what God has done for us. Not too long ago, Kathy and I were talking about something in the past, and, and she brought up a, a time where God had healed her. And I was, it just came clear in my mind. I was like, I forgot all about that. I forgot all about that. And I got to praise God all over again. Can I tell you something? You've forgotten stuff that God has done for you. Some of you, God did a miracle in your life last week, and you're already fearful and worried again. You're already fearful and worried again. And, and this is what happened to the disciples. They didn't understand Jesus. If they would have remembered, they would have never worried about the bread. But here they were worried about bread because they'd forgotten what God has done. Some of you are worried about the bills because you forgot how God provided for you in the past. Some of you are worried about a sickness because you have forgotten how God healed you in the past. Some of you are worried about a relationship because you forgot how God restored one in the past. Oh, listen, when you forget... It leads to confusion. The disciples were confused. How many times have you asked God for stuff and you're overwhelmed with the, the situation you're in, the, the difficulty you're in, you've got the world and the, the, the circumstances screaming at you and, and then the preacher's telling you the word of God and you're praying and all of this is just jumbled together. You don't even understand what's going on. You're just confused. I believe many people are in a state of confusion because they've forgotten what God has done for them. The disciples were confused and Jesus had to straighten them out. You see, the solution is this. Remember what God has done for you. You know what being thankful is? It is, it is first of all, remembering what God has done for us. Remembering what God has done for us. God wants you to explore the recesses of your mind. That old saying, count your blessings, listen, that is, count your blessings is this. It is stop thinking about today and the future and, and stop thinking about what's going to come and just remember what God has done and thank him for it. Go back in your mind and thank him for your kids and your marriage and your health and that time that he provided a miracle to pay your car payment. Thank him for the job that he gave you that provides for your family. Stop forgetting about all the myriad bunches, oodles, big amounts of things that God has done for you. Stop uh, forgetting those things and focusing on the one or two challenges that you're facing right now. Remember what God has done for you. Let's move on. The final one today, Matthew chapter 17. We're going back to our original scripture today. It says, once again, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill. See, he wasn't really a lunatic and he wasn't really ill. He was possessed by a demon. <clears throat> for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, Oh, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long should I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, rebuked the demon, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Woo! Glory to God. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, 
why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and by fasting. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Uh, This is where the rubber meets the road right here. This is a kind of faith that's just too small. It doesn't believe big enough. This is a, a kind of faith where you kind of believe God, but you don't really believe God. And it, it can be described, I think, to most Christians this way. They believe God can do it. They don't know if God will do it. Did I hit you? Did, did it smack you right in the heart? You believe God can do it. You know God can do it. You just don't think He will do it. That's doubt. That's a small-sized faith. That puts you in the category of you of little faith. Or maybe it looks like this. I know God can do it, and He will do it for that person over there. I don't think He'll do it for me. I don't think God will do it for me. I doubt that He'll do it for me. You see, I've just come from the wrong side of the tracks. I'm I've always had bad things happen to me, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Nothing good ever comes to me. Wah, wah, wah. There we go. We end up in that, down in that spiral. Listen, uh, there's something called a pity party, and I don't want to come to yours. Don't invite me to your pity party. But uh, the old saying, misery loves company, that's exactly true. People sometimes like a pity party, and they want you to come to it. They like to feel sorry for themselves. Oh, I feel like I'm smacking somebody around spiritually today. You like to feel sorry for yourself. You like it. You're used to it. You like it when you say, I bet it won't work out. And then it doesn't work out. And you go, yep, I knew it wasn't going to work out. All that is is tiny faith. You know God can do it. You just don't think he'll do it for you. You doubt his love for you. You doubt his power in your life. You think that your situation is so big that it's bigger than God and he can't overcome it. You think that your life, your own self, your sin, your backstory, your history, whatever it is, you think it's so big that God can't overcome it. Can I tell you a secret? Not a devil in hell. There's nothing you've done. There's nothing so big that in an instant... God can't cure you and fix you, just like this boy. Your faith is too, too small, and it produces frustration. This father was frustrated. He, he had to save his boy from the fire numerous times. He had to save his uh, boy from the water numerous times. I would imagine that because he loved his son, he'd probably gone to the synagogue, gone to the the Pharisees and the Sadducees and other religious leaders. He'd probably gone to every doctor you could think of, and nothing helped. And he was getting frustrated. And then he hears about Jesus. So he says to himself, well, I'll just go to his disciples. They, They probably know the same teachings and have the same power. I'll just go to them. He goes to the disciples. And they say all the right things, and yet when they pray, nothing changes. And I would imagine he left the disciples frustrated. 
Get out of my way. Just get away from me. I'm going straight to Jesus. I'm going straight to the source. And when he gets to Jesus, he tells him his frustration. He falls in the fire. He falls in the water. I've tried everything. Even your disciples. Some of you are frustrated because your faith is too small. You have done everything. You know, I've gone to the doctor. I've done what you said. You know, I, I did what the pastor said. I did what the preacher said. I did all of these things, Lord. And yet here I'm still in this situation. It still hasn't changed, God. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated, oh God. And it's probably because your faith is too small. You believe God will do it for somebody else you don't know that he'll do it for you. You know that God can do it. You know he's done it in the past. You know he'll do it again in the future. You're just not sure whether he'll do it for you. I remember one sick person came to Jesus and said, if you will, you can make me clean. You can make me whole. You can heal me. And Jesus said this, I will be clean. It is God's will. Listen, if you found it in the Word, it's God's will. Oh, that's good stuff. Did you catch me? If you found it in the Word, it's God's will. Now, if you're believing God for a new Cadillac or something like that, I don't know that that's God's will. That's not in the Word. It might be God's will for you to have a new Cadillac. I know this. That if you're asking God to heal your body, that's in the Word. If you're asking God to provide for you, that's in the Word. If you're asking God to deliver you, that's in the Word. That is God's will, and you can be assured if God said it, it applies to your life. Hallelujah. So what was the solution? Verse 21, this kind comes out by fasting and prayer. Now let me just take a little side road here, not to confuse you, but some of the original manuscripts don't have a verse 21. But if you go over to Mark, the same story is told and the original manuscripts say this kind comes out by praying, by prayer. And so there's nothing wrong, I don't think, with including fasting and prayer. So what I'm saying is I believe this is the biblical uh, prescription for this problem, for the frustration, fasting and praying. Now, what is it about fasting and praying? Let's be careful here. It's not that you're earning the power of God, okay? There's a recurring theme in all of these solutions, and they tend to be this. Stop looking at the world. Start focusing on Jesus. Get in the presence of Jesus. Get out of the presence of the circumstances and get into the presence of Jesus. Have you noticed that? It is the proximity of your life to Christ that gives you the faith you need to move mountains. Are you catching that? Could it be that simple? Yes. Could it be that simple? Yes. Oh, some of you have been struggling. But when you fast and pray, look, let's talk about fasting. Fasting is the denial of a earthly desire, a fleshly desire. There are all kinds of fleshly desires, and not all of them are bad necessarily. So like the desire to eat, that's an important thing, and, and God put that there to nourish our bodies and keep us alive. But when we fast, what we're doing is rejecting all of the fleshly impulses. Because, listen, there are a lot of people who are controlled by the flesh. In other words, whatever their fleshly impulses are, whether it's eating or drinking or, or having sex or, or having riches or having fame or sleeping in, whatever their fleshly desires are, they follow it 100%. They don't question it. They don't doubt it. They follow it. You know what fasting does? It breaks that. 
It teaches you to reject the impulse of the flesh. It gets you out of a flesh-minded thing where you're, you're not you're intentionally not fulfilling a desire of the flesh so that you can be focused on the spiritual. Ah, did you catch that? You can intentionally reject the impulses of the flesh, worry, doubt, fear, anxiety, frustration, confusion, and you can focus on faith in Christ Jesus. Who is God? What does he say? And I've got my eyes on Jesus. I'm not taking my eyes off of Jesus. I have faith in him. Praying. Praying is when we come before the throne of God and, and we, we, we get on our knees or we're driving in our car and it may be five minutes, it may be five seconds, it may be five hours. Not, those, are, those things are not important. What's important is that we come before God and we interact and we connect with God. When we're praying, God is changing us, molding us to fit His will. Oh, so many times we think of prayer as everything else changing and I'm staying the same. But can I tell you by experience that when you really pray, what happens is you change more than anything else. Yes, circumstances will change, but you will change more than anything else. And all of a sudden you start getting bent to the will and word of God. Now what happens when the will and word of God and, and the, the glory of God and the presence of God is before you? You start becoming like Jesus. Jesus is like a fire. You can't get close to him without him affecting you. In fact, if you get close enough, you'll feel the heat. And if you get real close, you'll ignite yourself. Uh-huh. You catch that? You'll start acting like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, having faith like Jesus. When you fast and pray, what you're doing is placing yourself in the presence, the proximity of the risen Savior, which produces faith. In the presence of Jesus, doubt has got to go. Oh, can you feel the invasiveness of your faith? How that there are these weeds of doubt and worry and confusion and fear and frustration. They're growing in your life. But as you get close to Jesus, your faith becomes aggressive and destroys doubt, ignores the circumstances, believes God for the miraculous, knows that you know that you know that if God said it, it becomes true. Could it be that simple? Could it be that easy? Could it be as simple as that if we would just get into the presence of God, our faith would grow into a mountain-moving extreme kind of faith? Listen, I don't ever want to hear Jesus say to me again, oligopistos. I don't ever want him here to hear him say to me, oh, you of little faith. I want to have big faith. I want to overcome. I want you to just imagine for a moment. Imagine if Jesus had not been in these situations. If he had not been there, the 5,000 men and their families would have gone hungry. If he had not been there, the disciples would have drowned at sea. If he had not been there, Peter would have sunk to the bottom of the lake, never to return. If Jesus had not been there, that boy would have remained possessed by a devil and probably killed in a fire 
or drown in the water. Because somebody had to have extreme faith. The oligopistos, the little faith, the small faith, the shallow faith, and the faith that doesn't last very long isn't going to get the job done. When you think of the mustard seed, it is not about how tiny it is. It's about what it's supposed to become. Why did God give you a seed-sized faith? Because there's a process that you go through believing God for things. And as I believe the more mature you are, the, the quicker that process happens to where if you're Jesus, if you have the faith of Jesus, you don't even hesitate. You already have a mustard plant, full-grown sized faith in all situations. But the folks like you and me, we get this tiny seed and we've got to, we've got to, we've got to help that seed overcome the challenges, overcome the doubt, the fear, the worry, the anxiety, the confusion, the frustration. We've got to help that seed overcome. I wonder, I wonder, and this really kind of breaks my heart. I wonder how many things we go through because we have lived with a little faith. I wonder what kind of life we're living and what kind of life we're missing out on because we have a tiny, small amount of faith because our faith has no depth and it doesn't endure. I wonder, listen to this, I wonder what our family and our friends are going through because we just took the seed, the small amount, and that's all. We did nothing with it. And we paid attention to the circumstances. And we forgot about what God had done in the past. And, and we took our eyes off of Jesus and we, we focused on the things of the world and, and it, it caused all of this other junk to mix in. And now we've got this faith that's so small and it's mixed in with all this doubt and confusion and fear and worry that it can't move even a molehill, let alone a mountain. I wonder how many of our family and friends are going through something because we have a a faith that is the size of a mustard seed instead of it being like a mustard seed that we planted and we nurtured and it grew into something so amazing that doubt has no chance, fear has no chance. We just believe God and it comes to pass. So I want to ask you, church, in closing, closing today, what if we had extreme faith? What if we had the kind of faith that actually changed things? We could live a more powerful, productive life. When the enemy came at us, we'd cast him out. When the storm came, we'd overcome it. We'd speak to the winds and the waves and they'd stop. Oh, what if we had an extreme, fully grown faith? What if we had that kind of faith so that when people came to us and were sick, we could pray for them and they'd recover? What if we had the kind of faith that overcame every temptation, every doubt, every fear, that ignored the circumstances to the point that we believed what God said? 
What if we had an extreme kind of faith? I want to leave you with this, church. I believe in my heart that we are coming upon a time where God is intentionally lifting our faith. We are about to see more miracles than we've ever seen before. Some of you have noticed that the world seems to be getting more ungodly and is drifting farther away from faith. They are becoming bold in their Uh, antagonization and hatred of Christianity. It's getting bigger and stronger. And some of you are concerned. I believe God is about to take us to another level of faith to help us respond and overcome. That's right. There are going to be uh, sicknesses that go around. And I'm not saying be stupid and go out there and, and uh, you know, lick the floor of McDonald's and think God's not going to, uh, or you're not going to get sick. I'm not saying stupid things like that. What I'm saying is that you have faith to do what God tells you to do and nothing shall by any means come after you. Hallelujah. I'm believing that you have faith that when the enemy attacks you, even large demonic forces come after you, you have the power and the faith to cast them out of your life, to cast them out of people's lives in the name of Jesus. I believe we're about to come upon a time where we're going to start to see more miracles take place like we saw in the Bible, that there are going to be people who are going to see the miraculous happen. Oh, glory to his name. Glory. Glory to his name. Greater works than these will you do because I go to my father. Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. We're going to see greater works, greater works. I believe that. Listen, it's not hard. It's easy. Really, it's easy. It's faith like a child. You know why Jesus said that we need to have faith like little children? Because they don't make it complicated. They just believe you. If, you, if their parents tell them something, if their father tells them something, they just believe it. That's it. They don't need to measure the circumstances. They don't need some sort of proof. They just believe. That's what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that you can't see with your eyes. They just believe it because daddy said it. You know, my father is, is a great guy. And uh, he's always been there to help us whenever we've needed it. And, and uh, listen, today, today, if I somehow got in some kind of a situation and I needed uh, $100, $1,000, whatever it is, if I asked my dad and he said, yes, I'll give it to you. You know what I know? I know my problem solved. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't have to fear it. I don't have to have anxiety. I don't have to work on it. I don't have to have confusion about it. I can forget it. Why? Because I know when my father said it, it's going to come to pass. Why? Because I know him. The more you know God, the more you can trust God. He's your father. And when you know him intimately, you know what he says and you believe what he says. My father said it, so I believe it. If God says he'll take care of me, he'll take care of me. How do I know that? Because I'm close to my father. I'm in proximity of my father. I am living in the spirit, not in the flesh. I'm thinking and functioning in the spirit, not in the flesh. It's as simple as that. I know my daddy, so I believe him. Oh, glory to God. Some of you, listen to this. I'm going to close with this because I could go on forever. Some of you today 
are more familiar with your circumstances than you are with your God. That's why your faith is so small, so shallow, and it lasts so short a period of time. Jesus, I want to pray for you today. I want to believe God for you with big, extreme faith. Let's believe God for some miraculous things. Let's believe God for some amazing things. For you, for your family, for your friends, for our city, let's believe God together. First thing I want you to do is just, let's just get our focus on Jesus. Let's get into the presence of Jesus right now. Lord, we love you, God. You are a great and mighty God. We are your children. You are our Father. And your word says some things about us, and we know them, and we believe them, and we trust in those things. We trust in your word because we know who you are. Your word is true. If you say it, it's true. And so we've got Jesus, the Son of the living God, right in our face, right before us right now. Oh, we got him right before us right now. The presence of his glory, glory to God. There's no worry, no fear, no doubt in here. Oh, all that junk has been destroyed by the presence of Jesus. It's gone. We're believing Christ right now. And so I want you to do this. I don't want you to tell God your problem. I want you to tell God what you want him to do for you. Somebody came to Jesus one time and he didn't ask him what their problem was. He asked him this, what do you want me to do for you? That's important because it took the focus off the problem and it put it on the solution. It took away the opportunity to tell Jesus how bad it was and it forced this person to tell them what they were expecting from him. Tell God what you expect. Oh, that I could receive my sight. Oh, that I would be healed of this disease. Oh, that the pain would go away. Oh, Jesus, I'm in your presence. And, and oh, what, I, what I'm asking of you today is that you would provide a job for me, the right job, and that you would help us make the rent this month. Oh, Jesus, I'm asking you, God, to give me a, a closer, better view of your word, a better understanding. I'm asking Jesus for you to bless my ministry so that I can really help people in this world. God, Lord, I'm asking you to touch the city of Austin and, and help people come to Christ in Austin. Lord, I'm, I'm asking you to help us, God, to remove all of the negative that's going on in this city and uplift a spirit of love in this city. Oh, God. I'm asking you for the miraculous, and I'm believing because your word said it, I believe it. And that's the end of it. Hallelujah. That's the end of it. I believe it. I believe it. And you know what, God? When circumstances try to tell me otherwise, I'm going to come back at those circumstances with the word of God and faith in Christ Jesus. And if for some reason I get distracted by a doctor's report or a financial report or argument I have with the boss, if I get distracted again and I start looking to the left or the right, I'm going to remind myself to get my eyes back on Jesus, my faith back in what he says. I'm going to have a faith that's big in size, that's deep and that lasts, I'm going to have extreme faith. Glory to the name of the Lord. Glory to God. I believe some miracles happened. <laughs> I believe some miracles happened today. Glory to God.
Now, let me tell you something. This is like a lot of things. When you leave here today, you have to get the word renewed in your mind. Your mind don't just receive the word and keep it forever. We forget. And we've got to renew our mind. So you've got to go through this process again and again and again of overcoming these hurdles to grow your faith. But listen, the more you do it, the more it becomes second nature to you. The more it becomes natural to you. To maybe someday, if you keep doing it, you will walk into a funeral and raise the dead and just mess up the whole funeral. Glory to his name. Glory to God. Mylon, do you really believe this stuff? Yes, I do. You know why? Because when I get close to Jesus, I know anything is possible. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, we don't have a, a faith the size of a mustard seed. We have the faith that started that way but it became a huge plant, a plant so big it affects our life and even others around us are getting shade from our faith. Bless you, God. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. I would encourage you to listen to this sermon again. Go over these scriptures and uh, look up scriptures, anything about faith, anything about a seed and the mustard seed and, and read these over and over and over again. And I'm going to continue uh, with this because there's a little more that we need to know uh, about this particular message that's going to go deeper. So I want you to be looking and ready for that. Praise His wonderful name. As you go out this week, put the Word to work in your life. Put this to work. Turn the TV off and put this to work in your life. Amen. Put the word to work in your life. There's this thing that we do as Christians is that we learn things and then we don't act upon them. We, it's as if we're professors of Christianity. We know how to tell people about it. We know how to comprehend it and understand it and even, uh, even articulate it to the world, but we don't actually ever put it into practice. Put this into practice in your life this week. I believe if you do, you're going to live a different life. Your family's going to live a different life. Your friends, your community, our city, even our world is going to live a different life. Glory to the name of God. God bless you guys, man. I'm so glad you got to be with us today. I hope this blessed your life. I want you to know that I love you. God loves you. He's got a good plan for your life, and you can take that seed and turn it into a power plant that will change things around you. God bless you.